Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. Lindsey Rhodes coming off a busy day of action on Sunday that was pretty costly to a couple of teams in the playoff hunt. Quarterback injuries that will dominate the week's news cycle. In San Francisco, where Jimmy Garoppolo has broken bones in his foot and is out for the year. And in Baltimore, where Lamar Jackson sprained his knee and is being described as week to week. I work with an orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Mark Addix, on the show I do on Sundays, Fantasy Zone channel. And he looked at the video of the injury and said his concern for Lamar was for the PCL, based on the way that his knee was hyperflexed when the defender landed on it. He said his ability to play would probably depend on the grade of the strain and that he could play with a grade one strain, grade two could keep him out. Um, so just be on the lookout for either of those two phrases, I suppose, this week. It sounds like we're probably not going to see him this week against Pittsburgh. Harbaugh said on Monday that that was less likely, but after that, who knows? My question is how incentivized Lamar will be to come back at all, to play through pain for a team that hasn't signed him to a long-term deal yet. And on the surface, doesn't look like a team that has a realistic shot to make a playoff run. I know they have a good record, and they are in the mix. They're currently tied for the division lead with the Bengals, but they're 12th in scoring and 14th in yards and 26th in pass offense below the Steelers and the Rams. And yes, they're very good at running the ball, but are they good enough at it to go on a run in the playoffs, considering all of the other things I just said? Without a wide receiver over 400 yards on the season, their leading wide receiver this year, and I say wide receiver because obviously Mark Andrews is their leading receiver, but their leading wide receiver is Devin Duvernay, who has 378 yards receiving which is less than Khalif Raymond has in Detroit. So you might disagree, but I don't see them as a Super Bowl caliber squad this season. And Lamar Jackson has a lot to lose. So I think that that situation will be very interesting moving forward for the weeks ahead. In the meantime, while we wait on his return, I do like Tyler Huntley. I think the Ravens are lucky to have him as their backup. And we saw that yesterday with that 16-play, 91-yard game-winning drive that he led them on to beat the Broncos, a drive on which he was a perfect 8-for-8 eight eight through the air and obviously also contributed the two-yard touchdown run. They also signed this week Brett Hundley, so things could get very confusing around the facility with Huntley and Hundley at cornerback, maybe first-name basis this week, or numbers. Also confusing to a number of people today, a certain line for next week's games. The 5-7 and seven Detroit Lions are favored by one and a half, as of Monday, against the 10-2 and two Minnesota Vikings. And I know most people are like, what in the world? And that is a totally fair response. It was mine, frankly, as soon as I saw it. The Vikings have 10 wins. The Lions do not. <laughs> uh, but... In the last four games, the Lions have outscored opponents 127 to 90. That is plus 37 in terms of scoring margin. The Vikings, on the other hand, have been outscored 96 to 118, which is minus 22. Now, obviously, they haven't played the same opponents. It's not a one-to-one -one comparison. But then there's this, DVOA. 
defense adjusted value over average. So what the stat does, they look at every play and they compare the result of that play in the circumstance, down distance, all that kind of stuff to the league average result on similar plays. And since week nine, Detroit is sixth overall in the NFL, in total DVOA. They trail the Niners, the Bengals, the Cowboys, the Bills, and the Chiefs. And that's it. And here's the crazy part. Again, since week nine, they're 10th in offensive DVOA, right? We all know they put up the points. But how about the defense? The defense is really holding them back. Well, since week nine, the defense is sixth. And since I know you're curious, the Vikings in that time, 22nd overall, 24th on offense, 22nd on defense. So does this matter? Well, you could definitely argue no, so long as the Vikings keep finding ways to win, because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. How many games do you win? But I guess the point of this is to show you that when you really boil it down to a play-by-play basis and what the teams are doing most recently, it is possible that the Lions are playing better than their reputation and that the Vikings are playing worse than they're getting credit for. And maybe if we're trying to be predictive, as in setting a line or betting, these things are relevant. We'll see. Another team that we might need to adjust our expectations of, our impressions of, the Texans on defense, and specifically against the run. So from a fantasy standpoint, they have been the team that you want to start your running backs against. They've given up so many fantasy points to running backs. But then I noticed we were all excited about Jeff Wilson Jr. last week. Some of us more so than others, Michael Fabiano, banged the table for him start of the week. This is across the board in the fantasy industry. And then he scored 12 points. And then we got excited about Nick Chubb facing the Texans. Smash spot. He's going to go crazy. He scored eight points. And I wondered, after that, have the Texans gotten a lot better on defense? Because now it's not just Jeff Wilson Jr. who didn't meet our expectations. Now it's Nick Chubb. Do we need to go back and reevaluate this as far as Houston is concerned? Or is this just a random fluke that goes back to the offenses that the Texans were playing in that particular week? So I reached out to Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders, who created the DVOA statistic, and I asked him, is there anything here? And he told me. Since week nine, Houston's run defense had gone from being dead last, they were dead last, to 14th best. Since week nine, they rank 14th in run run defense DVOA. Prior to that, weeks one through eight, they had averaged 5.7 yards per carry allowed, not counting scrambles. And in the last five games, that number has been trimmed to 4.1. So maybe don't start your running backs against them in fantasy, or at least don't go out of your way to do it because something in Houston has changed. But of course, the biggest change this week that we're all trying to wrap our heads around is the one at quarterback for the Niners. Without Jimmy Garoppolo for the rest of the season, what will they do? Will they go with Brock Purdy, the former last pick of the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, who came in and played pretty well completing 67% of his passes, he graded out better on the week, according to PFF, than Justin Herbert or Lamar or Dak. Or might they try to acquire the newly released quarterback from Carolina, Baker Mayfield, who is officially released on Monday, 
So waivers will process on Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern, and we'll have our answer then. For now, though, let's talk this through. And let's do it with one of the people responsible for walking you through this news on TV when it came out this morning, Monday morning, the host of NFL Now on NFL Network, and also the host of the hugely popular Red Zone channel on DirecTV, my friend and former colleague, the incredibly talented Andrew Siciliano. Let's break the huddle. Oh yeah, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Ready? Andrew, what a morning. I know you just got off air and certainly had quite a bit to talk about. Thank you so much for like racing over in your suit, by the way, shoving a few pretzels in your mouth and making time for me. Yeah, I made laughing already on those pretzels. What's up, Rhodes? Hi. I'm honored. I'm flattered. I'm touched. I'm moved that you invited me onto the podcast. You're the funniest. I can't believe, honestly, I was like, I feel like I was thinking this morning. I'm like, he's been on before. Then I don't. I don't think that uh, it has happened neighbors. yet. No, we're practically neighbors yet. We never see each other. That's on me. Um, and we never did the pod together. We did We did radio together, I think, once last That's year. what it was. That's mm. what it was. Okay. That's what it was. Anyway, how are you? Out the asks. I'm good. good. I am doing well. Yes. How are you doing? Uh, same. Um, I'm told uh, it's uh, almost week 14. It goes by pretty fast. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. And I feel like... Um, I mean, you're in like the news cycle for NFL now. So every day, and it might not feel like this to you, but I feel like this is the first big like Monday where there's really like news news and not just, hey, this happened in the game and we're going to react to it and stuff. But like, like, oh shit, we got to find a quarterback for the Niners. And hey, Baker's getting waived and all of this fun news stuff that we get to react to now. It's always more fun when there are legit news angles to it. I mean, the one that was just bonkers was the Monday a few weeks ago when Frank Reich got fired and mm. then the whole Jeff Saturday thing happened. And it's Ooh, that little like, thing? Yeah, that thing. And, it, and then the presser Monday night during the game. And that was one. I mean, during Monday's show, leading into the show, we're like, like, are we being punked? Like, is Jeff Saturday actually getting hired? Nice guy. We love him. We you guys have been down this road before, but I would say this day is a little bit comparable to that day. Although without the stunner, it had been rumored, I think, that Baker could be cut. Um, it was buried in like an ESPN profile a couple of weeks ago about Baker being the good teammate, like, you know, 35th paragraph. Some have speculated he may get waived, um, but the timing of it all um, after Jimmy's injury, unfortunately, yesterday. Yeah. One of those days. Do you think that's why? Like, are they connected? Are they like, hey, did you know, Baker's people? And you're probably just, you know, guessing here. But well, or maybe I'll you've quote, heard, have Baker's people gone in and said like, hey, wave us now. I'll, I'll quote Ian Rappaport in, in which uh, on our air earlier today, I think he said something like, I, I don't think these stories aren't connected. Got it. Um, it, it remains to be seen. I mean, I, I do think if you're Baker Mayfield and you're, you're sitting on your couch last night and you see Lamar Jackson out with the knee injury, although I don't think he'd be a Raven. Um, and you see Jimmy obviously out for the year. And then you come back from a bye and you walk in today and Steve Wilkes tells you that not only are you not starting, Sam Darnold we thought would start anyway because he played well last week or they won at least. Um, but you're going to be the number three now behind P.J. Walker. I think it's just a perfect storm of, all right, well, you know, I don't like my job and 
I don't think I want to go anymore. Right. Um, and uh, I think it it worked out perfectly. Now, if you look at the the waiver order here, mm-hmm. the Niners are one ahead of the Ravens, twenty four to twenty five. I, I don't think the Ravens want him necessarily, but he doesn't make any sense to me for the Ravens sense there. But uh, he would make sense for the Niners. So. It's an interesting situation because Baker has not played well this year, right? Like he's put a lot of bad football on tape. So in, in some sense, we're getting excited because it's a big name that is available that might not actually excite any of these NFL teams. They might not think that he's an upgrade from what they have on their roster at all. People are mentioning Houston. They're number one on the waiver wire. I don't think that that makes sense because to me, they're incentivized to lose. Like, why would you... Why would you spend money to in any way try? You know what I mean? You you wouldn't. Baker Mayfield's not your quarterback next year. In all likelihood, it, it's Bryce Young or whomever. But it, it's not going to be Baker. That makes no sense. The Bears are two. I don't think that makes sense. No. Denver, no. Uh-uh. Um, what about the Rams? Now, they, they I, don't own their pick, so they don't care how high it is. No, uh, I. it wouldn't stun me. It wouldn't stun me. If it were the Rams, but I mean, they have a short week. John Wolford should be okay. So he, I would think it's, you know, it's Wolford again this week against the Raiders on TNF um, and Carolina Jacksonville, New Orleans. Nah, I don't think so. Arizona, no way. Wait, why not New Orleans? I, I, I tend to think that none of these options really excite me to be honest with you, but mm-hmm. New Orleans, at least, I mean, they're bad. They're are, not getting great quarterback play. play. Are you going to play him right now ahead of Dalton or Jameis? So, but they're in the mix. At least they're in the mix yeah, of these I mean, bad teams. Look for any of these teams. You so you pick up like a million and a half that's left this year, yeah. he, and then he hits free agency. So, like, do you just want an early look at him before next year? Do you really want to play him now? I, I don't know. I mean, does Indianapolis make sense at at nine? I mean, they're three games back of Tennessee. They're not not really in it anymore, even though the division's gross. Like Tennessee's kind of started to pull away. I don't think Atlanta makes sense. I I mean, I assume it's going to be Desmond Ritter in uh, in two when they come back from the bye. Green Bay, no. Vegas, no. What about New England at 18? I don't think so. I think they'd rather have Bailey Zappi. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, what about Seattle at 20 just to keep him away from San Francisco? So that's that is interesting. And, and I think, I mean, heck, even with the Rams to keep him away from San Francisco, now that would just be petty. The Seahawks, it's a legitimate divisional reason right now. Um, I could see it, maybe. I mean, they don't have the division lead right now, but they could. That's they the thing could. for Seattle. And if it's 1.3 that you're picking up, you're like, I will pay 1.3 just to increase our odds. Like, I mean, I'm that person in fantasy, right? I'll go pick up somebody just because you need them. I put in a $40 waiver claim on Mike White last week. And 100%. And, and yes. get him in my fantasy league. Um, yeah, I, I think there are, are certainly some possibilities. I don't know that anyone needs him more than the 49ers. But listen, Brock Purdy played well. I mean, two totally. Years ago, he mm-hmm. played well. If you're the 49ers, though, you, you just have to ask, are we going to go into Philadelphia and beat the Eagles in January with Brock Purdy or go into Dallas and beat the Cowboys with with Brock Purdy? Um, 
Does Baker, nope. does, do you feel more confident that you can do that with Baker though? After no, what no. we've seen from him? I do not. And by the way, the Dallas game would in all likelihood be in San Francisco because the Cowboys will likely be a wild card. But but still, I uh, love that, you know, these scenarios, by the way, that that's like your scenario guy. I I have a question here to ask you about scenarios because I don't even like I'm like, don't even put it in my brain. Nope. There's too many, too many. Nope. I'll I'll check back in once we know. I guess the question is, would you rather have Baker Mayfield? And I can't believe I'm saying this sentence out loud or Josh Johnson. Yeah, I'm, that's where we are. Sacramento <laughs> Mountain Lion, Josh Johnson from the yeah. UFL or whatever league that was. I don't even remember. Well, I do think it's notable that there have been reports today, and clearly there's a reason why there have been these reports, that he was actually relatively well-liked in the Panthers locker room sure. because I think that that is, that is going to play a factor here. Like, in yeah. my brain, I'm like, do you bring in Baker, though? Like, of all people and personalities and just put them in a locker room where it might upset the apple cart. Like, or if the guys in San Francisco do like Brock Purdy and get along with him, then, you know, I don't, do you factor that in considering it's not a massive upgrade potentially, yeah, I, which I, I can't believe we're saying, but I can't believe we're saying we either. Could he live at Levi's stadium? Like he lived <laughs> stadium um you know there's the whole he didn't take good care of uh <laughs> cleveland stadium because there are skunks there yeah, so this is true the rally or maybe he did and that's why they're appearing now they are the browns are one and oh when videos of a skunk in the stands are posted during the game which is are like, you still a browns fan where do you stand on that okay still a browns fan yeah it's a hard habit to break um mm-hmm. and and i'll say it from this perspective as well without getting into a deep deep dive in a moral conversation. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want, I'm a football fan because of my old man, right? Yeah. Uh, my dad was born in, in 1945. I would like to see the Browns win again as they did in his youth. Um, one more time at least. And uh, I am still a Browns fan because I, I am rooting for them. Well, I'm always going to be a fan, but uh, I want to see, want to see my dad win one more time. Yeah. I get that. I totally do. He was he was 19 years old for the 1964 championship. So it's been a while. He's now pushing. He he's not. He, he I'm not close to 80. He he is not yet close to 80, but he will be 48 in February. I'm sorry, 80. I'm 78. Math 78 in February. I don't know how old I am. So the fact that you're debating your father's ages, whatever impressive to me um uh what did you make of deshaun watson's performance from a football standpoint were you surprised that he looked the way that he did or did you expect the rust um, i expected the rust um i expected him honestly to look bad um mm-hmm. he looked awful to be yeah. they, they the, the number five offense in football coming into the game playing against a team the last two weeks that was barely competitive right I mean, the texans were barely competitive they had been outscored 50 to nothing in the first half the last two weeks. So uh, he looked awful. Now, I was there a couple of days in training camp. I'll be honest, he didn't look that good when I saw him at training camp. Uh, he he was rusty last week, according to those that were there, like our James Palmer. Um, but I expected him to make a few more plays. He made a couple. I think what's interesting, look, they beat the Texans. They were going to beat the Texans if, if he threw the ball left-handed backwards 10 times. They were still going to beat the Texans. Um, what's interesting this week is they get the Bengals. Now the Browns don't have much of a shot, but they're five and seven. Now they've already beaten the Bengals. They laugh all you want. 
have owned the Bengals the last few years. Joe Burrow's never beaten the Browns. That's crazy. He's never beaten the Browns. Um, and Kevin Stefanski has Lou Anarumo's number. Whether it's Baker Mayfield or Jacoby Brissett, they march up and down the field against the Bengals. They do. So what happens if Deshaun Watson doesn't do that next week against a red-hot Cincinnati team, yeah. a team they've already beaten this year? Their expected points added as an offense in that game against the Texans was minus 19.6. Yeah. Meaning that an average NFL offense in the situations that they were in would have been expected to score roughly 20 more points than they did. It was bad. But then again, you know, nobody's arguing that it wasn't. It would be quite a turnaround for them to somehow come out one week later from that and beat the Bengals after what they did against Kansas City. They've owned the Bengals. Now, the last time they played him, Jamar Chase didn't play. But Joe Mixon did, and they still controlled the game from from start to finish. I'll just say this. Uh, There were two things that could have gone the Browns' way yesterday that, if they had gone their way, would make this a fascinating conversation. But it really isn't right now because the Browns have too many teams to jump over for a wild card. They're not technically out of it. They're five and seven. The Raiders are five and seven. We kind of think that maybe they could at least be interesting down the stretch. Um, The Ravens somehow pulled a victory out yesterday when it looked as if they would lose. And Travis Kelsey fumbled and the Bengals pulled out that win yesterday as well. If the Chiefs and the Broncos had held on to their fourth quarter leads yesterday, that means uh, the Ravens and Bengals would both be seven and five today. The Browns would be five and seven. Lamar Jackson is now hurt. And if the Browns were to beat the Bengals this Sunday, they'd be six and seven. The Bengals would be seven and six. And then you're actually talking about a chance to make a run at the division. And I know that sounds absurd, but those two results didn't go their way yesterday. And the teams that are in front of the Browns for the wild card, um, the Chargers, the Patriots, the Jets, they have lost to all three of them. So they have no tiebreakers against those three teams. So they ain't making the playoffs. The Bengals win yesterday. Did you support Andy Reid's decision to um, try the kick instead of keep the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands? Just to recap for people that that weren't watching. So uh, there was a fourth and seven at the 37 the Chiefs were down three with 324 left, and they opted for a, what was it, a 55-yard field goal attempt? 55, yep. Outdoors, Harrison Butker. Uh, that is a long kick for anyone, indoors or out. Um, I disagreed with it. I think he should have gone for it. He went for it on fourth down in the red zone, obviously, and Mahomes had punched it in. He could have taken the points then. Um, I would not have kicked. Um, there were still three and a half to go, though, and they still almost got the ball back. Um, but Joe Burrow, two-minute warning, made the throw, I mean, with a guy about to take his head off. So uh, to Joe Burrow's credit, when given the chance, he closed the game out. But Andy Reid almost got the ball back. But to answer your question, I would have gone for it. How about, so he they they threw the ball there and made the big um, uh, completion that they needed to, to close that game out and not give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. There was another late in game throw that caught my attention that uh, had nothing to do with the outcome of the game. Cause it was already in doubt. So I'm talking Colts ca- Cowboys at the mm-hmm. end of the game, Dallas took a shot with a pretty big lead 
um, where it made sense to throw for sure to get the first down just so that they could run down the clock. But they didn't just throw to the sticks. They like went for it mm-hmm. and they had a massive lead. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like a little bit piling on. Right. Because now at this point, you could argue that you have to throw just to continue to run the ball and close out the game. The fact that they were still trying to score. Then I saw a tweet from Jason LaCamfora saying that coaches around the league were pissed that Ursay had disrespected the profession the way that he, mm-hmm. you know, people Wait, thought did, that he had. Did Jason take a break from slamming the soccer coach? <laughs> Jason's into soccer too, yes. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Keep going. Uh, this was an aside from that. Uh, saying that coaches were mad and that we might see this kind of thing happen against the Colts this year because, you know, they were maybe wanting to make a point. And I thought that that was an interesting, it was an interesting thought and will now be on my radar when we watch future games against the Colts. Do you see, you know, coaches going for it and trying to run up the score in situations where they otherwise might not? I don't know if we're going to see that necessarily. I mean, I've heard, look, I've heard plenty of the same things, but I don't think it's just, you know, about the coaches. I I think like our Joe Thomas here, he was outraged. He's not a coach. He didn't think that Jeff Saturday should have gotten that job. I know, but he's not calling for a shot at the end zone when you're already up 20 some odd points. I have no problem with anyone, quote unquote, going for it in any game. Everyone's a pro. Everyone's cashing a check. Everyone's got mouths to feed at home. I don't care. If you want to go for it, go for it. And when it's a non-traditional foe, like it isn't a divisional opponent, you're not going to have to pay for it for a while if you're truly offending the other team. You know, and if you are, who cares? It's not like this was taking a shot against Brian Dayball where you know you're going to see him again soon. Mm -hmm. So. I didn't have much of a problem with it. What I had a problem with was the fact that it was like 21 to 19. And I'm like, do I have to watch the fourth quarter of this game? Or can I turn on a Sunday night show? And I went to brush my teeth and I came back and the Cowboys has scored 33 points. And while I was brushing my teeth. I mean, it was nuts. It was, it was, it was, it was 21 to 19. (laughs) Andrew, I had like secondary embarrassment kind of where you're just like, I I want this to be over so bad for everyone involved. Cause I'm so uncomfortable by how non-competitive this has become. Yeah. Um, and you know, for a while there, you're thinking, wait a minute. So they couldn't flex this game out where they didn't right. want to flex it out because it's the Cowboys. I get it. And, and everyone was rewarded with not an, not a good game, but a close game. Um, one of my favorite, for a while. Stuck in my head from an NFL executive many years ago. Close does not necessarily mean good. So 21 to 19 was not good, but it was close. And then all of a sudden, the Colts were who we thought they were and 33 in the fourth. So if it's close, but it's not good, does that actually hold a rating? I mean, from a TV standpoint, if you're watching like yesterday, what was it? 10-9? Denver, 10-9. Baltimore? Yeah. Like if that had been in prime time, don't you think people would have turned away? Um, I don't know. It's it's a really good question, and I don't have those numbers in front of me. I, I think the question is: is there star power, right? And is there a storyline with this team? You know, Tariq and Collinsworth in the fourth quarter when it got out of hand 
um, you know, move to the OBJ conversation because they had to. There's nothing else to talk about necessarily on the field. I mean, how many Malik Hooker revenge angles can you take there in the fourth quarter? So, uh, you know, the Ravens and the Broncos were probably to a very, very small sliver of America, like to Baltimore, um, not even to Washington because the commanders were playing at the same time. So that game was to Baltimore and to Denver. That's it. Um, and I, I, I doubt it even held an audience in Denver, considering the apathy. Oh, man. So uh, if that game were in primetime, look, NBC is going to be the number uh, the, the NBC game Sunday night is going to be the number one show in America every week, period. Yeah. Period. You could put um, the dog catching a Frisbee at halftime of the Eagles game and the Corgis racing at halftime of the Niners game yesterday. Both those things happen. You could put the two dogs on either side of the screen and that it would still be the highest rated broadcast of the week, period. I love that you have so much on your plate doing Red Zone, and you are also aware of what happened at halftime. Oh, I was very ready for the dogs. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Bill, so let's go a little behind the scenes, Direct TV. Lindsay, obviously the Fantasy Zone um, uh-huh. on, on Channel 704. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, so Bill Wagner... Um, our producer on the Red Zone channel texted me Friday uh, with something from a Philadelphia reporter that said there's going to be a dog catching a Frisbee at halftime of the game. And and when we met yesterday morning before our show, I said priority number one. Priority number one was to make sure we got that damn dog catching a Frisbee. I mean, and they didn't show it during the half. But I was like, come on, we got to stick on it. This is clearly something that. They're gonna show after the the uh, the third quarter stand up there. You come back to the booth, you set up the second half, and I have no doubt that if they break after that third quarter stand up, they are going to break with the dog. And lo and behold, they did, and we got the dog. Mike Giardi had texted the dog deserve or tweeted the dog deserves a five year, hundred million dollar contract. He had an amazing three cone time. Um, so we got that in. I promised our viewers we would get it, and we got it. The corgis, I didn't know were coming. Oh, big surprise corgi moment. You are nuts. I don't like, I don't, first of all, I don't know how you do that show, right? Like I, that's just not how my brain works. The pace of it would completely overwhelm me. I've talked to you, um, during COVID protocols for fantasy zone, because there are multiple hosts on our show. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're like the backup if you get sick. And there was one week where it was like, if Andrew tests positive, then you're going to have to come over here. And I was like, Andrew, don't you fucking go anywhere this week. I swear to God, I cannot do red zone. And I know most people would be like, yes, I would love a shot at that. I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses and I know how rabid that fan base is. And I was like, I don't want to. I, I would. And I mean, this as a compliment. And I've told you this off the air as well. Um, Years ago, when we worked together every day, I, I know you could do it. You, you, if I throw you in the damn pool, I know you could swim because you do this every day and you host a show and you got a show on Sunday and like it's all here. You could totally, do it. But you know the difference. The difference of red zone is pace. It's the quick recall and the in out. Make the point go like I, I am a little bit more thoughtful. I take a minute. I collect my thoughts. You know what I mean? It's. It's I, I wouldn't say it's my skill set, but I appreciate you saying that. I, I know you can do it. It's a lot of fun. It's um it's it's play by play of like yesterday, eight games at once, basically. I mean. So um, but we have, and and I mean this 
Um, and, and I say this and it sounds so corny and so cliched and sounds like uh, an award show speech. Like we have a great crew and you guys have a great crew, certainly um, on your show on 704 on Sundays as well. Uh, I can't do eight games at once. Like that's not possible. Yeah. So, and we're very fortunate to have um, so many of the same people that have been there for years and years and years and years and years. Like James Crittenden who's not necessarily obviously in the chair anymore. And Bill Wagner, who is in my ear every day and in the chair. Uh, and Bill Kalick, who's my lead researcher. And like, we, we have so many people that have been there since day one. So we kind of think all with the same brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they, they help me through it every Sunday. Yeah, for sure. I would imagine there's a rhythm to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's a rhythm to it where it's like, if I'm tossing to some, let's say, what's I'm trying to think, let's say a deep ball to Justin Jefferson of the Vikings are in the red zone, right? So we just see it happen. We're on this game. We're going to go to that game. Um, so I, I'm tossing it because we're going to pick up their broadcast live on Fox. So I'm saying Justin Jefferson. And as we get there, they're showing the replay. But I know to drag my feet a little bit until somebody with a legal pad gets out of the computer because it's now posted by the official score in Jesus. Uh, GSIS, by the way, not, you know, not actually. <laughs> just, that's what the NFL stack. I, I say that I drop that. I'm like, oh, yeah, on Jesus uh, all the time. And then I'm like, oh, wait, there are people around who don't that know what that is. Sunday and it sounds weird. Church. I don't want to be sacrilegious, but I, I know to drag my feet a little bit until somebody with a legal pad can write 55 and hold it up. And I could see and that's good for 55 and then lay out. And then the next guy, like Adam Amin, whoever was calling that game yesterday, I don't remember, can take over. Um, so we have a rhythm where, yes, it is very much like riding a bike. Are you going to be riding this bike past this season? I don't know. For those listening, this is me shrugging my shoulders like the emoji, the guy with the blue shirt with his hands out. Um, Call me. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I know that we have five more weeks to go um, on DirecTV and NFL Sunday Ticket. This is our 18th season. We just did our 300th show a couple of weeks ago. We're going to make um, the best damn five weeks possible. That was truly my attitude going into yesterday. It kind of hit me yesterday, like, yeah. oh, ooh, six weeks. So uh, not that it you know, hadn't crossed my line earlier, but hey, like six weeks, like focus. Because sometimes in the late games, I lose focus, to be honest with you. I'm like, we have eight games early and four games late. Well, hit a wall. Yeah, you hit a wall. Um, you also the pace, the pace is dramatic, so much different because the eight games you're like, boom, 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 boom. You need that energy when you're doing that. And then it slows. It slows real dramatically. I can compare it to going 80 on the highway Mm -hmm. and then getting on an off ramp. And then you're like, oh, oh, you got to hit the brakes. And then even if you turn onto a road where you can go 50, it still feels like you're crawling. And, you know. Go back to when we were kids. The idea of watching four games simultaneously is slow. I mean, that's bonkers. I know. But that's so true. That's what it feels like. But I sometimes lose focus and I lean on the crew a little bit more. Um during those late games. I I, I was, you know, reminding myself constantly, keep focus, keep focus, keep focus on these late games. You know, let's yeah. let's let's end this season well. And I also sit down for the late games. Um, I never sit down for the early games. I pace the entire time. Um, uh, I allow myself to sit down for the late games, usually midway through the first quarter for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. but I didn't sit down much yesterday. So 
And go to the bathroom if you need to. I did not go to the bathroom yesterday. <laughs> I did. I did, full disclosure, go week 12 for the first yes. time. For the second time this year. But yesterday, no. Yesterday, uh, clean score sheet. How do you tweet while you do that show? That's the thing that is the most bonkers to me I, about you. Because I know what the pace is like. I know how my brain would be like overwhelmed. You've got the eight screens in front of you. There's always something that you could be looking at. You're looking at stats. You're trying to figure out like what's happened while you weren't watching that game also. And then you're also tweeting out like random nuggets. Like how? I don't think I should. That's that's one of the reasons like I had to remind myself to focus more and and focusing more also means tweet less in the late games. Um it's just the way my brain works. Like I I have my laptop open um during the show and I mean it is for information purposes, right? Like I have a column set up um on my tweet deck just for um the PR directors in the league, right? Okay. Just just so I can see, hey, so-and-so's been declared out, or this guy is now questionable, right? So I have that open for real-time information. Um, and then what I do is, uh, you know, Friday, Saturday before every every show, I type out in an email to myself, like 10 or 12 of what I think are the strongest notes on each game. Okay, so I have that open in another email. And I always go back to that email during the show uh, for transitions, right? Well, mm -hmm. so, you know, this team came in with forcing a turnover in eight straight games. Well, they just got to pick. I looked at nine straight games. I, I can use that to transition. Um, what happens in the late games a lot is, uh, like, I go, ooh, like, I can wrap up an early game with a cool tweet and a cool nugget. And, a, and then I, I do that. You have your most viewers and your biggest audience, obviously, on all platforms during these games Sunday. And so I try to take advantage of that. And then sometimes I look up and I realize, oh, crap, like Burrow just completed that pass. What down was that? Right. And I that's when I get mad at myself. I hope no one notices at home. But, you know, me, Lindsay, well enough. I am my own worst critic. And so uh, I shouldn't tweet as much probably as I do, to be very blunt. It's impressive that you do. I know you're obviously super keyed in to all of the games and the big plays and pretty comfortable. I would imagine like talking about the way that the games went um, immediately after the day and what the major storylines were, because you're effectively broadcasting them all, but you're not sitting there watching full drives, mm. kind of seeing patterns develop. And obviously with eight games going on in the early window, there are going to be things that you miss. What do you feel like is the biggest gap for you that you might need to fill in in a different way throughout the week? That's a great question. Um, I find stuff out on Sunday night and Monday morning, like, wow, I didn't realize that. Like, a perfect example. I did not realize until I was going through our, our post-game notes this morning that the Lions scored on all eight possessions, other than taking a knee to end the game. I did not realize that yesterday. I didn't either. The, the Lions, remember what the Bills did to the Patriots in the playoffs last year? They scored on every possession except taking a knee at the end of the game. That's what the Lions did yesterday. And it was the first time it had been done in a regular, yes, Bills fans, regular season game in four years. I totally missed that. And my lead spotter, researcher, is a huge Lions fan who's always focused on that game. And I don't think he noticed it either. So the that's one where I'm like, damn it, I wish I had known it, right? Um, 
there's always a lot of gaps for me to fill in the next day. I am very fortunate, however, and I truly do mean this, that my day job at NFL Network hosting NFL Now sets me up for my Sunday job. And my Sunday job then to turn to the next week sets me up for my day job. I am very fortunate that way. And we have an amazing research staff at NFL Network, as you know, that that prints a PDF that's like the size of an encyclopedia every week of like 150 pages this late in the season. Um, And I pour through that um, week in, week out. But I am lucky that by the time I get to Sunday, I have talked all these stories out and these storylines out on air at NFL Network. So I can recall something from Tuesday on Sunday. When I wasn't at NFL Network, um, it was really noticeable during, so I started here in 11, uh, in the 2010 season. Um, my day job was um, hosting local radio here in Los Angeles on the Lakers flagship on 710 ESPN with Michael Thompson. And we talked Lakers, 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 Lakers. Yeah. And um, if we got sick of talking the Lakers, maybe we talked SC football. Yep. Um, and I felt really unprepared. Yes. And I went into work on Sunday. No matter how hard I crammed, it was, uh, I hadn't talked this stuff out during the week. Yep. And um, I was, it, it was a really bad feeling. And the NFL cycle is such that, I mean, if you drop out, even if you're, even if you are doing it every day mm-hmm. and this is your pace and you are talking it out, you leave that conversation for two days. Don't pay attention to what's happening on Twitter. I feel like I feel underwater in yep. that situation too. I feel like there's something I'm missing and I don't feel as confident just making whatever thought pops into my head into, you know, just verbalizing it because I feel like, well, maybe I missed something there and I don't want to sound stupid. And so I feel like the NFL is one of those news cycles that it's all year long and it's every day and you just got to stay super plugged in. And I feel the same thing about it. This is a first world problem. I feel the same way every year when I get to the Super Bowl because I usually spend the previous 10 days doing the senior bowl or the East West shrine game. Mm. And I hadn't done now. I usually don't do now those two weeks. Then you get to the super bowl. And I feel like I have a lot of cramming to do, which sounds absurd because we just went through 20 weeks, but I'm not fully engaged those two weeks because I'm only doing college stuff. And now I have to circle back. It's there. You just have to, it takes a little bit, but, the, the flip side of that is when we get to pre-draft season, I have all those college players in my head from the senior bowl. And that stuff actually helps me on Sundays each year because I can pull out stuff. I know where that rookie oh. went to college. I could pull out stuff. I could pull out anecdotes, right, that we used at the senior bowl. Divine Diablo, his name is Divine because his parents wanted to, to, to balance Holy with the devil, his last name, and that's why he's Divine Diablo. If he somehow got a pick in a game, I know we used that one once just as an example, or little stuff about Josh Allen and Fireball California and Wyoming and cantaloupes and all that stuff. That was all at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, and that then I can use on Sundays. That's my favorite week. I haven't been to the Senior Bowl in, I mean, it's been like a decade since I've been to the Senior Bowl, but it's my favorite week because I think what you're saying makes sense that you feel a little bit unplugged from the Super Bowl storylines, but 
you're so plugged in to everything else. And it's kind of a relaxed week for the coaches and general managers and stuff that are there. So I feel like you can have just like easier conversations where it doesn't necessarily feel like when you run into people, like it's not that back and forth. I am going to, you know, keep all my cards really close to my vest because I feel like I have to hide things from you. The dynamic is just different. And I find it very, very helpful for the rest of the year. And then years moving forward because of the relationships that you can build. Absolutely. And Indianapolis, the combine has that feel, but it's, it's very big and there's, you know, too many eyes and too many cameras and um indianapolis i'm sorry mobile is like um a drive it's like a football dry fit convention everyone goes out everyone goes out in a hoodie or a dry fit quarter zip and (laughs) you know you're drinking two dollar bud lights and you're making great connections and uh mobile's changed though a little bit over the last couple of years there have been a couple of franchises uh rams notably um, that send a a much smaller footprint there. It's not, or, or coaches might fly in for one day and one day only and fly out. It is still the place to be. Um, it's it's not what it was 10 years ago, but it is still my favorite event on the calendar. Okay, I want to end with, I've taken up enough of your time here, uh, but I want to end with, since you mentioned the Rams, your thoughts on what has happened this year and what, do you, do you think that the Rams, what do they, what do they take away from this season in terms of um, what they had thought previously and maybe still think about a roster building model that will work and be sustainable? Um, it's a great question. I, I don't know that the story has entirely been written until we see how some of these younger players perform down the stretch. Like, Sean admitted this morning, Sean McVay admitted this morning that, hey, maybe he should have given Tutu Atwell more of a shot before the last couple of weeks. Second round pick, the kid has made some plays. Um, Maybe he should have been on the field a little bit sooner. Um, So I think that's one of those lessons. It's not as if he had never played younger players. I really i am not making excuses for the Rams three and nine, not making excuses for the fact that they have the longest losing streak ever in NFL history for a defending champion. Not not just the Super Bowl era, but 103 years. The NFL history, period. Um, but if you had told me that we'd be sitting here in December without Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, um, Aaron Donald, I, I mean, it's it's pure injury disaster. It's what the Niners dealt with really, a couple of years ago. It is pure injury disaster. They've had 12 different O-line combinations in 12 games. 12. And that that's absurd. You can't win football games that but the way. the O-line's not injury-related, right? That's oh, about yeah, them absolutely. not having the guys? Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Whitworth obviously retired, right? Mm-hmm. And and Witt's doing amazing as a broadcaster. It's so much fun to work with him this summer in the preseason. Uh, and then Joe Noteboom, who didn't play well, honestly, to be blunt, before he got hurt. Then Joe Noteboom went out. Oh, yeah, it's been, I mean, every single, other than Rob Havenstein, every single offensive line spot has had multiple injuries. At one point, they were on their fourth or fifth left guard and fifth center. Um, so that's one of the reasons Matthew Stafford was getting battered. To go back to your initial question, what have they learned? Um, I think they would do it all over again. They won a championship. 
And I think a lot of teams tried to copy them in the offseason, whether it be the Browns, the Broncos, whomever sold the farm for the guy they thought would be their franchise quarterback. That's the Rams model. It worked for them. It really did. I think the bigger question is, how do you now recover? Yeah, They do think that with all those pieces back next year, assuming they are all back, they still have a good team. But their luck this year was unlike any luck I have ever seen. Some of their younger players also need to play better um, on the offensive line, notably. Andrew Siciliano, you're the best. I miss doing this more regularly. We should do it again. Or we should like uh, get lunch. Like, we could walk to each other's houses. Be like regular humans who live in the same town and just yeah, run into each other in person. Yeah, I get <laughs> Why do I never run into you, by the way? This is, I, if this is still in the pod, that's good. I never run into you. No, so Lindsay I and I live a mile and a half apart, roughly. Maybe two. Yeah. Maybe two. I know. I never see you. And there are so many other people in our NFL media circle. I mean, not you run into them. NFL network people like the Fox people like Aaron yeah. or Kevin Burkhardt. Do you run into them? I don't run into them. I either. run into them. I don't you run know. into them. So it's a me thing. No, I run into both of them. I know. So right? you guys are all out being cool and I'm not. That's the problem that we have just put our finger on. I, I, I don't. Yeah. I, don't I think see, it's I the kids. I think it's the kids thing. I think I'm like out at AYSO soccer games and the circle's just a little bit different. You know, I'm not finding like the hottest sushi place in town and sidling up on the bar. Hey, I I, I, I'm I'm just a guy who goes out every day, who puts in AirPods and listens to podcasts and goes on his run and then comes home and sits on the couch. So next time I will, I will take my run towards your house. There you go. Do that. Okay, I'll do that. Good talking to you. Likewise. Bye, Lindsay. Andrew Siciliano. If you are not following him already, that is where you can get those tweets that we were talking about during Red Zone, uh, Channel 703 on DirecTV. And obviously, throughout the week, you can also find Andrew on NFL Network's NFL Now during the day. Thank you so much for listening to the show today, and we'll be back here on Wednesday with more with an answer about Baker and perhaps OBJ. My guest for that show, the badass news gatherer who is currently tracking that story and others, Josina Anderson. If you're not already a subscriber, hit that button now so it'll pop up in your feed as soon as it's available. And if you have any thoughts on the show, or maybe if there's something you want me to ask Josina about, hit me up on Twitter at Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm at Lindsay Rhodes NFL on Instagram. The producer of today's show is Cliff Augustin, and the NFL Road Show is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Hope you have a great one, everybody. We'll see you again on Wednesday. Podcasts.